I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, gang. Welcome back to The Drop-In. First of all, thank you so bloody much for all the lovely words after last week's conversation with neil warnock what a legend if you haven't caught that episode yet do give it a listen it's on the football ramble feed from a week ago um it's definitely one of my favorites so far this season today's guest has not only represented more football clubs than neil but he also has one of the most interesting stories you're ever likely to hear in the sport you may have only heard of lutz van for the very first time on last week's ramble guide to journeymen he is the only player to play professionally on every continent in the world. In fact, over the course of his career as a keeper, he played at 25 different clubs in 21 different countries. He's experienced so many different footballing cultures, and now he's the sporting director of a brand new MLS club, St. Louis City, who will be competing in the league for the first time next month. I thought it'd be really intriguing to hear about how you build a football club from scratch and also how you go about creating a fan base and to get a sense of how he'd drawn on everything he'd learnt at all of his different clubs over the years. Really hope you enjoy this week's episode of The Drop-In with Lutz Schwanensdiel. It's fun still. Thank you so much for joining us on the drop in. It is brilliant to speak to you. We're speaking to you today from your from your sitting room, right? Because you've chosen to take your one day off before the first game of St. Louis City, who you are the sporting director for, to talk to us. How lovely of you. Yeah, you know, it's always good to use a day, a very useful uh, bank holiday. Not my favorite uh, time of the year, to be honest. Like I'm getting easily bored. So let's have a nice chat. You haven't taken any time off at all in the last, what, two, three years since you've been setting up this team? Yeah, I arrived in August 2020 and since then I really didn't have any time to, to take a day off or take a holiday with the family. Uh, there's so much to do, there was so much to do. So it's, uh, I kind of knew it when I, when I took that job, you know, to build a team from scratch. There will be definitely no boredom, there will be definitely no time to chill. And uh, the last two and a half years were, were great. So we're now really coming to the, I will call it the final patches to, to, to build the team, have our preseason now, two more training camps, and then we're starting end of February with our, our first ever MLS game. Huge question then. What is the first thing that was on your list when you realized you were going to be a part of building a football team from scratch? Yeah, I mean, the first thing what we did was sitting down with the owners and see 
what do we have, what do we don't have, or where do we want to start? And I realized very quickly that the the intention or the motivation of our of our ownership group was very different from most um, yeah um, investors in, in in football. It's a family business. It's a family where they want to make St. Louis into a, a very special city where they realize that you know it's more about community and not just about winning games or selling players for millions of dollars. It's so much more than just the football. And that kind of project reminded me a lot also of Hoffenheim, where I worked for, for many, many years. So I kind of knew from Hoffenheim where the club was not completely new built, but it was a team which came out of nowhere uh, where we can do things. And one of the first things I said to the ownership, let's cut all the ties you have to youth clubs and other clubs in the region. Let's cut them all. And I want to start literally from ground zero, white piece of paper, I don't want to have any connection to anybody. I want to build everything from the community system to the academy, everything from a complete white piece of paper, get my own people in, but also get to know all the local people in football and then really pick and choose the guys who who can follow the philosophy which, which we are building or the DNA which we are building. And I think that was the first few weeks to really wrap the head around where do we want to go, where do we want to start and that the community needs to be the start of everything. This is so interesting because, of course, that's something that we think of as being quite a European element to football, whereas in the States, so much younger in terms of their football heritage, except St. Louis has got soccer heritage from the 19th century, as I understand it, right? So how is that something that you've tried to invest in when you're talking about the community is that something that you've taken into account, trying to connect with and build up the fan base? Yeah, you have to imagine, I think there's a few very special things about uh, soccer or football. I still call it football. I need to sometimes I was trying to help. Uh, yeah, let's, I was let's, trying let's, to do the right thing yeah, there, let, but we absolutely can call stay it with football. football. <laughs> let's stay with football. And I think the, the most important thing is, yeah, I mean, I know I needed to figure out what actually is St. Louis. I mean, I played over here. I, I played uh, in the States and in Canada. So I, I know the setup and I knew the league. Uh, I also signed a few players like Zach Stefan, the former goalkeeper of Man City on loan to Düsseldorf. So I always had a good connection to the, to the, to the football over here. Um, but the most important thing there was um, to somehow realize what does soccer in St. Louis mean or football in St. Louis mean. And, and here, as you said, the history here is, is absolutely amazing. You know, um, when America beat England in a World Cup, uh, uh, there was actually five people five starting players from St. Louis on the field. So there was always a massive kind of following in the city. Of course, there's the Blues in ice hockey, which which is a world-class team. There is the Cardinals in baseball, which is one of the two top teams in the history of that game. But you do find a lot of um, people who are crazy about football. And and I realized that very quick that football means a lot here. Um, but then the other part was that Football here in the States, uh, especially when it comes to the youth, is a pay-to-play system. So it's not for everybody. Not everybody can afford to send their kid into a good academy. It costs you up to $10,000 a year. And a family with lower income can simply not afford that. So as older you get, 13, 14, 15, that is when lots of the talents just disappear because the parents can't afford it anymore. 
And that is when we had that talk with the ownership and said, we said, you know, we want to have that community part. I don't want to have an academy starting with an 08, U8 or U10. I want to focus a little bit later, U14, U15. But before that, we need to be that neighbor who goes to the clubs, who goes to the parents and offer a program where we coach the coaches for free and where we give kids an opportunity to play the game for free. So, of course, the, some of the business people who invested a long time in their model, they're not the happiest bunnies in the world. But in the end of the day, we give opportunities to people who simply have a lot of talent but don't have the financial background to, to follow it through. We need to build everything on, on three kind of pillars. So the community, which is going out there, make the game accessible to everybody, and then pick up the the best talents from the region. We have a good academy because I think there is a, a lot of a lot of talent here. And then of course on the short term, the professional team, which somehow, unfortunately, I will always be measured as a sporting director what happens with the first team. Um in my brain or also in the ownership's brain, it's so much bigger than just the first team because the community and the academy part, that is the future. There is a legacy which we really can put out there not just for five or 10 or 15 years to come, but for, for an eternity. And uh, Kate, if you know the, the, the Midwest, you know, in the United States, it's a little bit, it's not LA, it's not New York, it's not Miami, it's a different kind of setup. I would compare it more to Middlesbrough and Newcastle, Sunderland, right. Liverpool, more like the north of England, yeah. where you want to see your own, your own guys out there who who not just like... Uh, the big time Charlie's dribbling a little bit around, but we want to see the kids who are grinding and working and, and put every time 150%. That's awesome. And it's so interesting to hear about the community that you're trying to create around this brand new football club because you, as the only footballer to play professionally on every continent or every available continent, I guess, you have, as a result of this, a, a unique footballing perspective on the culture of football across the globe you know you've experienced fan cultures and communities in a way that is unique what do you think living in all these different cultures has taught you you know uh, actually football really is very different on every continent sometimes even in different countries it's already so much different even though it's neighboring countries for me uh, it helped me a lot uh, when i you know when i started to coach uh, but then especially when i was the head of recruitment in hoffenheim uh, to to literally have the, the biggest phone book in football history where in every country where there was ever a ball kicked i can make a few calls and i figure out immediately what is happening there that just helped me a lot but not just in in uh, getting to know players or finding players it's also about how you integrate players when they're coming when they're coming to you so having lived in South Africa, having lived in Brazil, uh, having played there myself, uh, I know maybe a little bit more how, how people think, um, how um, the culture in football is, how how you can make a player feel welcome. You know, that it, it is very, very different. And I think I just, I always call it intercultural competence. Mm. It's a word you have to write down. I think maybe I actually made it myself. I have no idea. But I think that means for me, to, when I talk to an agent from Brazil, I will talk to him different than I will talk to an agent from Canada or from the United States. Mm. When I talk to a player and his parents from South Africa, I will talk completely different than to a player from Norway because there's other values, there's other ideas, there's other culture. And that culture also reflects 
uh, into the game of football, of course. So um, it's a little bit like uh, I'm a little bit like the Austin Powers, international man. What is it? Man of international mystery of football, basically. <laughs> Uh, to to <laughs> kind of like figure out how to make things work, yeah. Not just by talking some shit, yeah. But by really knowing what you're talking about, because you lived there, you dealt with people, and I sometimes find it funny when people say, "Well, I was for six weeks in New Zealand uh, on a holiday, and I know everything." <laughs> no, they know nothing. It's like living, being being a holiday maker or even a, a, a traveler doesn't make you understand the culture. You need to have lived there for a while, you need to have worked there, and you need to literally spend time on the football field with coaches, players, uh, fans, to understand really what is happening and what is really important and what the differences uh, in certain in certain cultures. Quite right. And it's an interesting one, though, Litz, because you... This is was almost accidental how this all came about. Am I right in saying it wasn't some strategy you decided I'm going to play all over the world. This is what I'm going to do. Except that you turned down the chance to to play at Bayern Munich when you were a very young man and decided instead to go abroad. When I was really young, I was extremely confident. <laughs> but somehow there came the moment when I also realized, um, you know, like Bayern Munich, Oliver Kahn, uh, that I just won't play there. And I think sometimes it's important to to rate yourself or judge yourself in the right way. And uh, it has a little bit to do, I think, also with the, the, the character. For me to be a second goalkeeper and sitting for like eight years on the bench in Bayern Munich, yes, maybe I would have made a little bit more money, but I just simply think I would have got crazy. You know, I need I needed to play. This is also why if you look at my CV, I didn't just change club for, for fun. It was always for me, um, I wanted to play. And if I realized I'm playing in a smaller league and I'm extremely good, I wanted to try the next step. And then ending up on the bench made me think, no, I just can't do that. So I was too, uh, sometimes not patient enough. I I would, people would agree with that. Mm. Um, but for me, it was more important to play football. And, and with Bayern Munich, I had the feeling that I was a decent goalkeeper to play maybe in, in in one of the top leagues in the world, but not for a top, top club like Bayern Munich. Um, fighting against Oliver Kahn, I would have been never been a number one. And my young brain by then realized that and said, Let's let's have fun and play. You know, I don't wanna I don't wanna sit. I wanna play football and not sit football. Do you regret at all never staying at a club more than two years? Uh, that's actually not true. Um, ah. uh, that, that's just what it looks like it because what um, right? I, I, I give I give you I give you one very good example. Okay. So actually, I pl- I played for five years or even six years for the same club in New Zealand. Right. But it doesn't look at it when you look at my CV because number one, we always kept on changing the name because the format changed. So if we came from a club league into a state league into a regional league, um, and secondly, instead of being in New Zealand for 12 months where I play for six months, I have three months pre-season and three months holiday. I always was crazy enough to say to the club, hey, can you please loan me out? I go somewhere else and play. What, in the off-season? Yeah, I played I played six months in New Zealand and then I played six months in America, six months in Canada, six months in Norway. I think I played for four years or five years, 12 months with like probably 60 or 70 games a year. So I just had an unbelievable run of games because I 
I remember that one game I played in New Zealand, the last game, I jumped directly after the game on the plane and I played four days later in Norway. What do you think it is about, do you think it's a particular characteristic about you that means that you are able to assimilate so quickly into all these different kinds of cultures? Honestly, that's, that's a great question. And I, um, I believe yes, but I can't tell you for sure because one of the things what always happened to me, usually somehow you create for yourself like a profile and the profile was if somewhere a goalkeeper gets injured, if somewhere there's a goalkeeper problem, you always can call that guy because you throw him in the cold water and he performs. Mm. So for me, it was never an issue to, 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 to basically arrive in a country on a Wednesday and don't know even the names of my teammates, but three days later, play the game. Every time I had that debut or that first game, I never really played a bad game. The bad games came later. <laughs> um, so so I had probably that, that kind of unique talent to adjust myself extremely quick in a surrounding I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, but why and how, I have no idea. <laughs> You've got a knack for it, obviously. It's it's not just being able to turn up and play. It's also presumably being able to talk to people and being able to, yeah, be friendly and, and, and adapt to the situation. And also it sounds like you're kind of a firefighter in some of these situations, which it sounds like that is a, a, a an approach that you relished. Yeah, I think I think one of the things which which I always enjoyed, you know, when, when, when you're going to play abroad, I mean, I give you an example. The Brazilian player who plays in Germany or in England, he still has... Brazilian friends, they still eat Brazilian food. Mm. It's kind of like doing that what you used to. Or for me being a German, I mean, I wouldn't go overseas and go into into Malaysia, into a restaurant and say, hey, I want to have some sauerkraut, you know, I, I mean, or a sausage. <gasps> that is how I spend my time abroad. I try to live like a local yeah. uh, instead of trying to live your life you used to in a foreign country. Mm. That was never what never really interested me. Rangers still going at them. Here's Arthur Newman cutting it back. It's in. It, it hit the underside of the ball and I thought it was in. Tremendous move by Rangers again. Great save by Can. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Um, hey, tell me, I'm glad you brought up New Zealand. Did um, What's the story about you and a penguin in uh, in New Zealand? Yeah, that, that comes up, I mean, all the time. Actually, uh, I just told some of my new players because they somehow read the penguin story, so I had to explain it. You know, I'm, I love animals, so... Uh, okay, I'm, good, I'm, let's get it out there. And there, wasn't, there weren't any penguins yeah. harmed in the making of this story? Of course not. I mean, I would never harm any animal. So, uh, I mean, I'm a big dog person. Um, and in New Zealand, it was somehow the, the president of the club, uh, he, he he put me into some penguin colony, which was the biggest one uh, outside the Antarctic. It was like thousands of penguins. And somehow I had that, I had, I had before some monkeys and some lizards and stuff, you know, and then I thought... As in you were keeping well, these in your home having... or you were visiting them? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I kept them in my home. Yeah. Monkeys yeah. So, and lizards? Um, Monkeys. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't you don't have a monkey at home? No, uh, no he's out no. actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the penguin story was actually very simple. I somehow believed that a penguin would make a cool pet. Uh, I was very wrong, um, and I I kind of borrowed. A, I I never stole a penguin. I borrowed the penguin and tried to figure out if I can make him into my favorite pet. Uh, within twenty four hours, I realized that it was a wrong decision. <laughs> Because he smelled terrible, like a, like a fish factory, and he also was not very social. <laughs> so I decided to to put him exactly back where I where I found him. Because he needs friends as well, presumably. Because you're not a penguin, even if you're a good friendly yeah. guy. You you can assimilate into perhaps. Could different have taken a second <laughs> one though, in case so that would have not been the problem. But no, it was it was a, it was a bit of a. I mean, now I'm a little bit older, I wouldn't do it anymore. Okay, I'm kind of glad to hear it. Um, you also, oh my goodness, you've in terms of your career, just generally, you've also had some less uh, amusing situations, including um, ending up in prison in Singapore for supposed match fixing, right? Which was not, you were, how, how did that play out? You were not found guilty of this, but you were in prison. Yeah, it wasn't really match fixing it was uh, you could call it match fixing related but it was actually so kind of plain stupid in the end of the day that um uh it's pretty easy to explain i mean i was asked by a a guy which was more or less in my opinion a football fan and it was one of the person or one of the people who asked me the typical question everybody asks you are you, gonna hey, win are you going next week you play yeah, yeah. Oh. Next week you play against, for example, oh, next week you play against Sunderland. Are you going to win? Or are we go- and what? Of what course. do you say as, yeah. a, as a goalkeeper? You say, of course, we're going to win. Yeah. So it's three times in three different locations within three or four different months. I bumped into this person, and I told him three times, "Yeah, we're in great shape. We're going to win." And actually, for that, I literally went to prison, and there was a, a twenty-eight-year-old judge. 
uh, who who told me that I played better than normal. <laughs> so I said, thank you very much, but that doesn't really make sense to me. So where exactly is the the corrupt element when I even if I would play better, I just do my job, so I didn't play any better. So at the end of the day, we won two of the games and we drew one when I saved the penalty and uh, I still was put for 101 days into prison. Um, one of the toughest prisons in the world where death penalty and caning is something which happens, where I you know, had to really fight every day to, to stay, stay alive and stay healthy and kind of really change me as a person. You know, I was a bit the... I would call it the, the typically spoiled footballer who liked cars and and girls and nice clothes and and that kind of moment I think changed my mind quite a lot. I think you realize in such a situation very quick what is really important and um, actually family uh, is the most important thing. Um, believing is the most important thing, and I think you start to appreciate the little things in life which are much much more important than the material things. I can see how that would have changed your perspective on a lot of things. Something else that I imagine made you reassess a number of things was when um, you were playing and you were at Bradford Park Avenue and you were pronounced dead, I believe, after being collided with, or oh, is that the correct term? I may not be using the correct term, but your your heart stopped beating in this, is, in this uh, collision on the pitch, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're pretty, pretty, pretty right. Uh, I mean, you know, Clayton Donaldson, from the whole city player, you know, extremely quick. Uh, like I thought I was quicker than him, but I wasn't. Uh, um, and uh, you know, it was like a fifty-fifty ball. The goalkeeper, I came out, and and Clayton tried to jump over me, and somehow he, um, yeah, he tripped over his own feet in some ways, and he knocked me with his knee right in my sternum. <sighs> And that is one of these injuries where, so basically your first your lungs collapse and then you can't breathe anymore and then your heartbeat stops and you basically uh, die. Uh, and uh, if you have a, a doctor or uh, an ambulance right there or, uh, you know, you obviously it's easier. In, in that case, it was a boxing day on a cold day in, in West Yorkshire. Uh, it was not, it was not, we were not that well equipped, but... Uh, we had a very smart, experienced physio called Ray Killick. So if he listens to the podcast, thanks, my friend. Yeah. Um, and I just was in touch with him a few months ago again. Oh. And Ray actually gave me mouth to mouth and he got me back three times. Um, but three times I, I drifted away and then when the ambulance came, they slowly got me stable, but I still was in coma for another two and a half, three hours. And yeah, I somehow, I somehow realized... Uh, there is still a, a, a plan out there for me and I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to survive. Did you always feel like you were a lucky person? No. Uh, to be honest, I mean, look, uh, well, we, we talk now since 20 minutes and since 50 minutes we talk about the worst situations in the world. So uh, uh, being, being locked up as an innocent guy in one of the worst prisons in the world and being killed on a football field, I wouldn't consider myself that lucky. Mm. But I think uh, I'm quite mindstrong, you know, I'm like stubborn and I'm, 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 I'm a fighter. Uh, so I always believed that um, you can make something out of your life even though things are not going your way and everything is possible. You can make it work. If you would have asked me if some little angel would have flown down when I was sleeping on a, on a, on a, on a concrete prison floor next to a murderer, if you would have asked me, hey, in 
15 years he will be the CEO of a German Bundesliga club, I would have probably told the angel to piss off because <laughs> I wouldn't have believed because I wouldn't have believed him. And but it's but everything is possible. Mm. That's reflected actually quite closely in your career, it seems to me, talking about how you've taken these decisions to to move or to try and get more game time when you're in positions where you might not play. Sometimes this tag of being the journeyman player is is used in a slightly negative way. And Jefferson Lewis, the, the Dominican striker, who said he played for 40 clubs and he said people, it becomes like a curse because people think you can't stay in one place for long enough. Do you feel that? What do you feel about the tag? I did feel it sometimes that managers and coaches were um, a little bit careful because something was wrong with the kid because he always moves. And to be honest, now changing the chair and looking mm. at some players' CVs, I also believe that it does sometimes make you think twice about a player if he kept keeps on moving. Um, but you know, it somehow it somehow made me the person I am. Mm. So I don't see negative. I often get that question: Well, um, would you do things different in your life? You know, for example, should you have signed in Bayern Munich or should you have tried to? To, to to stay longer in Wimbledon or try to make your way in Nottingham or whatever. Um, and I always say no, because uh, if you would have asked me maybe six weeks after then, I would have said, yes, definitely, I should have done everything different. But now, like 20, 30 years after, I don't think so. Let's tell us about the crazy gang then. So you were, of course, around them. It was for me a culture shock, you know, uh, coming there. Like, imagine a, a young German guy with earrings and a ponytail, like, uh, uh, coming there, and then the first thing you see is Vinnie Jones, Mick Harford, Gary Blissett, like, like that typical, typical English, English, super English kind of players. However, it was a, it was a way, I mean, and, yeah, I think, you know, lots of people spoke about bullying and, and that and this, and I mean, I also had a, had an interview with BBC about, well, where you bullied, you know, in at at, at the time, but I never felt really. To be fair, I did, I didn't feel bullied. I mean, I was laughing quite a lot. Now, especially again, now looking back, it was hilariously funny because the practical jokes, which were played on each other, I mean, some of them were of course over the top, but the way, and that also a little bit reflected to St. Louis by building a culture. Mm. Look, Wimbledon, they had no big wages, they had. No big bonuses. It was a small club training in Roehampton Park where literally dogs were walking around doing their business like five meters next to the goal. Uh, you live in a little stone stone house where two older ladies fried some bacon uh, 20 minutes before training. Uh, so all that nutrition, I mean, it was just so different. But the, the connection between the players, the way, the way you started to basically fight as the, the, the outsider against all odds. The the way people were connected, that was unique. Do you find yourself applying specific things you've picked up? So we talked about the fan culture, but specifically as well, talking about the things you've experienced as a player. And of course, you've worked all over the world generally as well. Do you find that there are specific things you draw on in the day-to-day runnings at St. Louis? What we did here, we built we built like a very international team. So we had lots of players who played in the Bundesliga before, yes, but we only have one German player. 
And we have mm. Roman Birki from Switzerland, Austria from the Czech Republic, Klaus from Brazil, um, Eduard Leuven, German guy. Mm. So all these guys are playing in the Bundesliga, but they're coming from different cultures. Now we added a South African player. Um, you know, so it's it's a great it's a great mix of players. It's a great mix of cultures. There's literally everybody is united, and I think that is what what we want to reflect. We don't want to be just a midwestern local club. We also want to be seen as an international club, and we want to feel international people welcome. Mm. When we will sign, now we have two Brazilians in our in our club, but we also will sign sooner or later an Asian player. So we are. I'm I'm always on the lookout. But in the first year, I think it's also important not to, not to mix too much because otherwise you lose. You you know there will be a language barrier. There will be that. So we, the reason was why we signed lots of players from the Bundesliga, is number one they do speak English and German, but number two, they know, the way we play. And we have a, a pure pressing philosophy, very much based on Hoffenheim and Red Bull. So we literally press and counter press and and work harder than most other teams so we're going in that kind of football direction mm. and this is a philosophy we're not just playing with the first team are you 15 are you 17 our under 23s we all playing the same way this was that decision i made with the ownership on day one we play our style and we will follow that through even though Maybe the first few months don't work great. You know, expansion teams in America usually they get pushed around. I believe we don't get pushed around, but traditionally or historically, expansion teams have problems. And um, we still need to stick to our principles. We need to stick to our identity, to our philosophy. And in the long term, we will have success. It's not often you get to see a dream being built right before your own eyes. But that's exactly the case for generations of soccer fans in St. Louis. And while the team may not play a game until February, folks are ready to get going, right now. And if you're looking to secure seats for the inaugural season, many of those have already been claimed too. What a huge conversation we've had. So many different things talked about and, and we really appreciate you reflecting on some of the more difficult things as well that you've that you've faced in your career, not even, you know, in your life, really. Astonishing to think of you in that in that jail in Singapore and the experience you had in England, but also running around with the crazy gang and, and experiencing all these amazingly widespread cultures and fan fan experiences that you've had all over the world. So, so thank you so much for sharing us. We know, of course, you've got Charlotte on Saturday, right? So how are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I mean, now friendly games coming up I think everybody waits for the first opening game against Austin away but I think the big day will be the 4th of March Okay, our home opener again against Charlotte you know another team which was last year expansion team so they know what we're talking about uh, or we know what they're talking about so it's kind of like the same feeling and that is the day I think what we all worked for yeah. and uh, you know I just really really hope and uh, this is one of my, my, my biggest wishes that that first home game, that we can show a good performance, that we can we can actually make St. Louis proud, but also uh, that the players have that feeling that they they are in a in a special kind of surrounding. Yeah. So it will be, even I had such a bright and uh, strange career, but I think this these two games, Austin away and then Charlotte at home, that will be two highlights. Uh, in, in my football life as well. Amazing. 
best of luck with it. We all hope you do really, really well and uh, continue to prosper in this absolutely, well, extraordinary career of yours. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you very much. Oh, I enjoyed that one so much. It was quite an unusual conversation, really, in the context of, of the drop-in. And it was also, he was just so entertaining, I hope you felt, even given the massive range of topics we were talking about, some of them really, really tough. He was obviously just such a raconteur and a person who wanted to share his stories and to to really revel in the joy of of the football community. I found it so interesting what he was saying about trying to build that in St. Louis. And I suppose that community is the most important thing wherever in the world you are. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Do remember to get in touch with what you thought of it on Twitter at Football Ramble. We're on Instagram as well. And you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at KVL Mason. I'll speak to you very soon. Take care. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.